Hello, everyone, and welcome to Capital A, Unauthorized Opinions on Art and Money. This week, I wanted to take a break from my ongoing exploration of what COVID has meant for our understanding of our world to bring you a brief conversation I had with my friend, the independent filmmaker, Charles Davis. Charles is a kind of one-man filmmaking machine. He writes, directs, shoots, and oftentimes acts in these wonderfully offbeat and strange sci-fi and horror movies. His movie, Athis, in particular, I found to be seriously scary. I'll have links up to his work um, on Vimeo and Amazon Prime in the episode description so you can check it out yourself. It is not like anything I, for one, have um, watched before. Some while back, Charles made a very interesting observation to me that while digital technologies have made it easier and cheaper to make a film than it has ever been before, and easier and cheaper to put it up on the internet for anyone in the world to stream and to rent and to purchase, nevertheless, being an independent filmmaker is not necessarily any easier and in some ways is much harder in today's economic and cultural climate. This irony is what I asked Charles to unpack for me in this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I learned a lot from it, not just in terms of the economics, but also the culture and the world of independent filmmaking today. Charles Davis, welcome to Capital A. Thank you. Good to have you. It's good to be on Capital A. From our separate little uh, COVID bunker holdout yeah. cave things. Yeah, you probably have it worse than me, though, because you're actually in New York City proper. I'm in uh, um, New Jersey, so <laughs> it's bad, well, not quite the, as bad. That's the one time in history anyone has ever said that. How dare you? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, well, it wouldn't be. I, a... I'm pretty sure there's some Bruce Springsteen songs that have said that before. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's true. So, um, I guess the the kind of motivating thought for asking you um, to talk to me today was something that you said a few months ago when we were having lunch about how, despite the fact that obviously making a film has become cheaper now mm -hmm. than it has ever been in history. Being yep. an independent filmmaker has become no less difficult and in, perhaps in many ways more difficult. Yes. Um, and I found that kind of really surprising. So I was wondering if you could uh, put that down on record and uh, share oh, it with sure. posterity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so first off, I can always tell from my perspective. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think what I can comfortably say, though, is that it's a, it's a weird smashing together of economics and just the general culture, um, as well as saturation of, of just the space, right? How do you make money from a film is the first thing you have to ask, right? 
the ways you typically make money from a film is uh, traditionally, say we're back in the 90s, the way it would be is that you give the film to a distributor, the distributor gives it to the theater, they split the ticket prices, you have some deal, the distributor gives you money at some point, right? And then it would be video rentals or, or TV deals or licensing to do TV deals. Now you have the internet too. So there's this other layer that's happened because the filmmaker or the distributor or whoever it is, production company who's ever doing it would get paid per view or ship depending on the network. So for instance, like on um, Amazon, I think the current rate is like two to four cents for every hour streamed, mm-hmm. something like that. Right. And then there's another there's another option, which is um, advertiser based, um, which is ads playing the video before the video, after the video, in the middle of the video. And then you get paid by whatever ad place is getting spent there. Um, the issue that's happening is one, because films are so cheap to make, you know, when I say cheap to make, I'm talking, you know, the most expensive film I've ever made is like $5,000. These are like feature films. You know, it's the, people are making movies on iPhones and major directors making movies on iPhones. If you think of like Tangerine and stuff like that, right? And then on top of that, even just the editing software has gotten really cheap. Uh, and the software is, is professional grade software. It's not like Adobe Premiere and After Effects is some like trashy program. This is right. stuff they will edit like major Hollywood feature films on. It's, it's industry standard stuff. So you like know. the cost to get started is the cost of a, like a three or four thousand um, dollar video camera, um, an SD card, a computer, and a yeah. subscription to Creative Creative Cloud. Yeah, basically. With those yeah. tools, one person can make an entire feature length film. Oh yeah, easily, easily. You know all that stuff you listed. You don't even need all that. Like you could do an iPhone and iMovie, <laughs> <laughs> and that's you can make a completely acceptable looking movie. So that's one thing is just it's cheaper to make films. You don't need to like um, be connected to rich people, which is a good thing, you Mm -hmm. know, because it should be, you know, art for the people. Art can come from everywhere. And and now it can. And you could distribute for yourself for free as well. And this is sorry to interrupt you, but this, this was the part that surprised me because I like when we were talking about this, my kind of assumption was that the way that they get you is mm-hmm. through distribution. And you said, actually, distribution is pretty easy too. Yeah. Yeah, this is where things get interesting because it's like, it'd be great to sit there and be like, it's all the man, it's all the system against you, all right. this stuff. If you want to get onto Netflix, that's a hard thing. You know, that you need like a distributor or something. There's a whole controversy, like Netflix and iTunes, particularly the ones I'm thinking of, or Hulu or things like that. It's hard to get plugged into there if you're not being represented by somebody. Mm-hmm. But other networks, you know, if your goal is to just, can I get this movie out in a way that the public can view it? That is very easy to do. And what I mean by that is you can just do YouTube, like mm-hmm. just that alone. Obviously, most people don't watch movies on YouTube, but another place that's, which is great is Vimeo. Um, I have a bunch of movies up on Vimeo that, uh, well, there's another talk about nobody watches, but um, you know, you can put your <laughs> you can put your films out there to rent and sell, just like without any without anything. This is the thing I could sit here and be like, ah, oh, the man's getting me because they only want to have these super popular movies on, and the, they're saying you, you know you have to promote your films or you can't be on the space. But I can sit there and complain about this stuff, but at the same time, I can also just put on Vimeo, which mm-hmm. doesn't care. You pay Vimeo a subscription fee of like X number of dollars, and you can just have your movie there and rent it and make money off of it. So just to recap here, it's cheaper than ever to physically make a movie. To physically make a movie, it is, I don't want to say it's free, but functionally very, very low cost to self-distribute it yourself too. 
and, you know, this isn't just like putting your movie up on the internet so that like your grandmother can view it. You could just view that as a revenue stream and put in options to rent and to buy and yes. people could pay you money to watch your yes. movie and you would never have to go through a studio or yes. through an agent or a middleman of any kind. Correct. It sounds like heaven. Yes, it does sound like heaven, but the end result is what happens is that, um, first off, there's so many movies uh, and so many networks that get made now, uh, they're low budget. And um, on top of that, I think just culturally, people have just become very accustomed to these subscription-based models, right? Um, I was reminiscing the other day with my wife, and you probably remember, you're my age, Phil, because I know this, by the way, me and Phil we're went both, to college We're together. both 12, yeah. Yep, Exactly. You know, remember back in the day in the 90s when we were <laughs> yeah. like in high school and we would literally just walk into a movie store. You would go to like horror section or some section or, or whatever you're into. You would rent a movie and pay like three to four, five dollars out of your pocket where you had nothing to go on for this VHS other than the box art yes. and the description on the back. Yes. And you would just risk it and put your money down. <laughs> Risking an hour and a half and three dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> and man did we get burned a lot. But and that's so you know I was I was reminiscing the other day about that because it's not like that anymore, right? You can you access online, you get movie reviews from people right. who watched it, you get um, you get uh, trailers, you can look at the accolades, you can do full investigations of the films. And when people are in that nature of, I want to see something I haven't seen before that doesn't have a celebrity in it, they go right. to the Netflixes, the Amazons and all, and the Hulus and stuff like that, where they have subscriptions, they can endlessly browse and stream and then view those movies. And what ends up happening there is that, um, you know, nobody's going to go on to a platform where you have to actually pay money to rent something you've never heard of before. It's like we're in theoretical heaven for filmmakers because we can just put it on Vimeo and rent it directly. We don't have to deal with anyone. But in actual practice, what ends up happening is uh, when you stream the videos with a subscription service like your Netflix or your, your Hulus or your Amazon Primes or things like that, the money that's given to the filmmaker you know much less the production company much less the distribution company if they're going to the distributor is really really small like really small because when amazon video prime they keep changing the name i think it's called prime video direct now um but their program for independent filmmakers just to self self-publish on amazon when it first came out they were paying out 15 cents an hour which is for every hour someone streamed the movie and that at the time was the best deal in town that was like, everyone was like, wow, that's so much money. <laughs> and then that has since dropped. And now I think it's something, it's in between two to four cents now an hour. And and then on top of that, they're cutting, you know, they're, they're cutting movies left and right, basically. On top of that, if they're not getting enough viewership and they're kind of um, encouraging people, you have to, you have to um, promote your movie outside of Amazon, get people to the page and all stuff, which that normally means you have to be pumping money into some kind of media buying usually not not always you know but as with anything with advertising and stuff like that it's it's a lot of these networks you actually use to grow yourself on these days um a lot of it is um pay to play you know it, it used to be different when social media and stuff was uh, younger where you could kind of organically have pages that people would find and visit nowadays everything has to be boosted or they'll intentionally just like block you from being seen by a, even your own fan bases that's kind of where what the situation is and it's like it's like i said it, it's a combination of just the economics because there's so many movies out there um you know we all they're all low budget films we're we're all 
you know, a bit desperate. So we'll take kind of any deal if it gets in front of people. But at the same time, we can't just blame the system entirely because at the same time, it is also just the culture of people watching movies. And by the way, I'm completely guilty of this. I am one of those people who will not pay money for a movie I've never heard of if I don't, um, you know, if I'm in the mood for watching something. So I am no, um, I I am no, I am, I am complete hypocrite for complaining. But okay, um, so, so where where would you say that bottleneck is, or is it more than yeah. one bottleneck? Is it is it that is it that like subscription services create have created this culture where we expect to like pay a flat rate per month or per year, or whatever it is, and then get infinite access? Is that the problem, or is the problem that you know you can put anything up on the internet you want, mm-hmm. but to get it seen by people, you need to pay some advertising? Yeah, or like actually go to a publicist the old-fashioned way and actually get it like picked up by a newspaper or whatever exactly it's funny because like we have all this high-tech stuff there's no there's no answer about where one bottleneck is i think it's it's both things one just the culture of we're all accustomed to just having the subscriptions and getting endless amounts of access um with the subscriptions we are not accustomed to how it was with the example we talked about before in the 90s where we would just walk in and be like let's give it a try and see what happens um and paying for that that chance but at the same time you can't completely say it's a bad thing because the movies out there these networks these are major networks like amazon's a major place it will put your movie out there vimeo will put your movie out there you know which is not something you could have said in the 90s right. you're a filmmaker uh, so what the question there is how do you get your voice heard and i and this is kind of where i think all art end up getting equalized because i think it's the same problem with with the painting um, as we've talked about with the stuff you do with people I know who are like other types of artists, uh, musicians, all that stuff, um, is how do you get people to yeah. be aware of you, recognize you get get yourself out there. Um, and that's getting really hard because, um, you used to be able to be like, I'm going to make a Facebook page. I'm going to have a Twitter account. I'll just post all organically post in there. I'll put some hashtags on and there'll be some audience. I'm not talking about some major audience, but you'll get like something now. It's just like, you won't get anything like, unless you're, unless you're dumping money into it. Um, And you know, when you're a person who's, making these you know five thousand dollar wonders they don't have like five hundred dollars to boost the page for a week film festivals you regularly meet people who are you know working minimum wage jobs at target and manage to try to do something try to follow a dream it's like it's crazy to then come in and be like well now you have to start dumping money into it to get a recognition but at the same time it's like um you know, it is oversaturation. So, so I don't have a, there's not, as you can see, I'm rambling. There isn't a clear answer to this question. There isn't a clear answer to um, how do people make their art aware in the world? The answer used to be film festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, okay. I, I want to ask yeah. you about film festivals in a moment. Um, yeah. Cause I actually, I think that's something that I don't really know anything about. And, yeah. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to learn more about. But um, before before you get into that, the the problem that you're sketching for me here, if I understand it correctly, mm-hmm. is again one really cheap to make a movie, comparatively cheap to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Two really cheap or comparatively cheap to uh, di- distribute the movie in the sense of like give people theoretical access to it. Yep. But three really friggin' um, impossible to unless you're paying for a lot of money for it to get people to want to actually go to your website or go to Vimeo uh, your account on Vimeo click on it pay three dollars for it and watch it so that's the problem as I understand it and yep two perhaps competing hypotheses here one 
um, given that it is much cheaper to uh, make a movie now, is the problem that there are simply, like you said, you use this word saturation a couple of times, is the problem that there's simply so many people making movies nowadays? Well, not that that's a problem, but is that yeah. the source of the uh, challenge? Or is it rather, too, that um, when distribution is so seamless, when anyone on any part of the globe can watch anything put on the internet by anybody else, is it that your reach might have increased all across the globe as a consumer, but your bandwidth has not? Although mm. you can look at stuff made in whatever, Jakarta, Australia, mm. wherever, wherever your little heart desires, you still have only so many hours in a day. And so you and your mm-hmm. your appetite or your demand for culture or film or whatever it is hasn't increased at all in the time that your ability to access all that stuff has increased. So the the bottleneck mm-hmm. is really just a single person's attention span. I mean, it's an interesting question. I don't. Um... I I mean, I'm sure it might be a mix of it. I guess, uh, in my opinion, it would lean towards. Um, the fact that we have so much material out there and that to organically, what we would say, you know, non-paid wise, um, develop systems, algorithms, search engines, results, things like that, that will service these movies in an effective manner. Um, one, the technology isn't, isn't there to really accurately push, identify the people who would be interested in these films mm-hmm. and push these not fine grain in front of, huh? It's not fine grained enough. Exactly. Organically speaking, paid right. why if you're doing paid. And uh, then the other uh, issue is that there's no incentive. There's right. no incentive for them to develop. To, to, why would you have something? Because it's like Facebook could promote these movies and push them in front of the people that probably relevance to. But why would they do that for free? Right. What's their incentive? They have no incentive right. to do it organically. When they were first starting, they did because they were trying to get Facebook up. They said, well, you want to come in? You want to use these, you know, this nice Facebook thing? Um, and we'll put stuff that's relevant towards you in your face. Then it was like, mm, well, now we'll make people pay for it. Right. Um, so I, I think I think it's partly that. Uh, and then I think I could I under, I think what you're saying about bandwidth is a very interesting idea. And the thing I, that I question with that is how many human beings have access to the internet and watch movies on the internet versus how many movies are out there, right? Because yes, one person's attention span isn't going to be able to watch everything in the world. But if you kind of spread that out over right you know right okay so 3 billion people like so, uh, so I, I feel <laughs> right okay so so here yeah. here here's my um immediate response to that is okay yeah. yes absolutely the case but like okay so say for example that in pre-internet times mm. um maybe movies are a bad example because they they've always been distributed more widely than say your local like folk band um was able yeah. to but like let, let's use folk bands as an example okay um just because it's clear mm. um in pre internet days, if you are a person with an appetite for folk music, you basically can go to your local venue and listen to it there, right? You Mm -hmm. could potentially drive an hour to the next city over and listen to folk music in that uh, venue. And maybe you would want to do that once in a while. And maybe like once a year or whatever, if there's like some big festival in a big metropolis, you could go there. But Mm -hmm. basically you are, you're in pre-internet days, you are, I mean, of course, there's radio, et cetera, but um, there, the, your, your reach had limitations that were in some ways um, 
commensurate with your with your demand. And so what does that mean? That means that mm. uh, there's like, I don't know, X amount of people in this city who like uh, folk music and they're able to sustain one or two folk bands in that city. And in the next yeah. city over, there's Y amount of people and they're able to sustain another one or two folk bands or whatever, right? Yeah. What happens when the internet gives people of both cities equal access to content mm. created in both? It, so or, yeah. It, then theoretically speaking, the same amount of demand uh, per person can be met by only one band mm. right because all those people's bandwidths and demand for folk music hasn't increased but now they're not limited by the need mm. to travel so you could theoretically have one folk band servicing the entire folk music listening population of the planet you could have one two or just a handful of cultural producers cornering the entire market just mm -hmm. because distribution is seamless yeah, no, you, you absolutely could. What I see more happening with the film in that space is, yes, this is the things you're saying. You're absolutely right. You get these like, influ you know, we call them influencers, right, right, on social media. It's a very good point. What I also see happening um, is movie type and the way movies are made um, and the way the movies that are getting promoted have also kind of homogenized a bit. Say so I work at, you know, I do a lot of horror movies, right? Mm -hmm. How many zombie movies are there? No. like just just and they're never ending you know <laughs> they just keep and, coming and rather like they just the i know like zombies right it's like a zombie apocalypse of zombie movies and you'd think you know a film festival would go well we've seen enough zombie movies at this point <laughs> <laughs> but they don't and that's the thing is that a lot of the times um uh the films that that do get kind of picked up or promoted or passed around um they're called marketable quote-unquote marketable and i think what I've come to learn in the film industry is just that they are like other films that other people have liked, which is how it's always been, of course. But there was, at least I felt like, before the internet, um, some kind of appreciation for people who were making things that weren't necessarily just, you know, another zombie movie, another movie that was like Night Living Dead, another movie that was like this or that, or like this director or like that director. Um, and I feel like when you look at the films that are made and distributed and picked up and passed around, um, uh, you do see a lot of films that are basically very, very similar to each other, even shot very similar to each other. Um, like even things like sound design have become very homogenous in my opinion. And I think it maybe has something to do with what you're saying. We're, we're, everyone sort of just kind of gravitates to the same types of things over and over again and repetition, but it's like across the globe. And then everyone starts kind of repeating that as well because it's like what the influences are doing, right? Mm. Do you think that that habit was different before the internet or in the early days of the I think, yeah, I think it was. I mean, uh, art that is like other art has always been a thing, mm -hmm. right? But when I think about, um, even, I feel like you even saw it a little bit in like major motion pictures. Like the thing that just popped in my mind was the movie Robocop. <laughs> um, everything about that movie was just so weird and different. For me, I think the frustration, obviously you can sense I'm a little frustrated is that I would expect the kind of let's promote and just do things the same way that has been successful before would be something you would see out of major studios, right? Which right. we do. I get frustrated because I see it happening a lot in the indie space where a lot of people are, mo including film festivals, are mostly just looking for a lot of films that are sort of the same. Um, but what, you know, again, what, do you, what do you attribute that to? I think it's a few things. I think it's also economic as well because the other thing that's happening with the oversaturation, so we talk about film festivals, right? Film festivals used to be um, a really great way to get your film seen and, and noticed. You know, 
go back to the 70s and 80s, like Werner Herzog and guys like that kind of became household names because of the films and the film festival circuits, right? They would make mm -hmm. the films, they would get over the film festivals, they would get basically free press at these film festivals because there would be press people there. Nowadays, there's thousands, there's thousands and thousands of film festivals now. You know, there used to be hundreds. Now right. there's thousands, um, you know, every, every city, everywhere, every corner, there's somebody putting on a film festival. And, you know, my initial reaction was like, that's great. Right. Diversity of film festivals, right. get you weird movies out. You know, I obviously I'm biased because I make weird movies. Like, let's right. get weird movies out there. Let's get interesting movies out there. Right. But what but happens I know what is you're that saying. Theoretically, the more festivals there are out there, the more room there is for something but that's not what happened right because they're all in competition with each other and then what happens is that they're like they're all struggling for to have people pay attention to them as if as an organization as a film festival right and um and so they just are accepting all the zombie movies right? <laughs> <laughs> i feel like using the word zombie oh, movie is a great analogy for the situation but you know you, you go and you watch these movies you know um the, the films and you often see just like very similar films endless horror film festival show endless amounts of just kind of mm -hmm. forgettable zombie movies or i'm being critical of zombie movies right now i shouldn't do that uh i, I love zombie movies oh me too i, I do too actually i'm, I'm <laughs> I a zombie, zombie movie watching zombies would i <laughs> but uh well because what ends up happening is that they need to get films that they know people will show up to see right. or will get buzz or something for themselves a lot of times the organizations I think they'll look at things. They'll be like, we know there's tons of blogs out there that are just about zombies. If we accept more zombie movies, we'll get our stuff written up more mm -hmm. in the blogs. And then it's like, everyone's looking for that um, publicity, right? That PR, right. that's sort of what it's about, including the film festivals. They're looking just as much for the publicity as the actual filmmakers are. There's like 10 major, major, major film festivals, right? So you'll have like Sundance and like mm -hmm. Tribeca and, and Berlin Ale and, um, uh, you know, stuff yeah can and, and toronto and stuff like that and a lot of these film festivals even if your film gets into them most of the time that doesn't lead you anywhere and it used to mm. now it's like you have to get into the film festival and you have to win the top award mm. for anyone to pay attention to you or even your name get mentioned anywhere anyone care now it's like you could be in you know a um a major major film festival and you won't win an award or anything but you're right. there you've got just getting in is a miracle because they're so competitive and and you know you know, there are plenty of films back in the day who weren't winning major awards or anything, but they were there, they were present, they get press, they get buzz talking about them. Now it's like, unless it is like the number one winning film of the entire major, major film festival, you're probably not getting much press. Even small towns will have multiple, so many film festivals in mm -hmm. them that it's like, how many times is the newspaper going to cover it? So right. when they're doing their movie selection, the film festivals themselves are often looking for films that they think will get them get them press mm. right it's sort of like what is your film going to do for our festival right. <laughs> it's more like the question they're asking and i, I don't want to badmouth all of them uh, of course there are i mean I'm, I'm involved in film festivals i've been the ones i've been into um have been fantastic they're not all like this of course but you know when you look at um some of these places where they get into and the nature of the films um you do see a lot of of uh uh, you see a lot of zombie movies you see a lot of zombie movies <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the i think that's going to be the title for this episode yeah yeah uh, but actually i think that's a really good segue to um before we finish up here um because you know i i don't know many filmmakers most of the people i know are in fine arts um mm -hmm. contemporary art rather. um so i have an, i have a kind of like basic understanding of the daily life 
of a contemporary artist, right? There's a certain cast of characters within his or her orbit. There's like the MFA program, mm -hmm. there's the gallery scene, there are museums, there are art critics, um, there are shows and like all of the, this is an ecosystem or several. Yeah. There, there's a certain mental map that I have of how that world works, but I don't have the equivalent map for what mm -hmm. it's like to be an independent filmmaker. So I was wondering if you could like just kind of take uh, take me through like a day in the life of an independent oh. filmmaker. Like what are the institutions? What are the yeah. like cast of characters that they deal with? What is the goal? What are you as an independent filmmaker trying to achieve? What are you hanging your career hopes on? Like, what, yeah. how does all that work? It's really honestly probably not that different from what you're used to in the fine arts. Of course, there's critics, film critics, mostly newspapers or blogs or things like that. And it doesn't necessarily need to be like big prestigious institutions. Some of the best critics to get written up with are just guys who started blogs or gals who started blogs. Um, it used to be that you wanted to be seen in lots and lots of film festivals. Now, now I'm seriously starting to question if that is something you want anymore just because of um, how film festivals kind of are these days. So, so traditionally, um, like a film festival is the film the independent filmmakers equivalent of like a gallery show. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big time, big time. And uh, how yeah, does that I would work? say like, what do you, do you get paid to be in a no, film? Like, what do you, no, what do you, no, you pay them? You, you pay, pay them. them. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. pay them to submit and then they send you a rejection. Uh, <laughs> you yeah, pay that, for the rejection letter. You pay for the rejection letter. Yeah, no, you pay, no, that you don't get paid anything. Um, uh, you get, um, yeah, you pay to submit it, it. The price ranges depending how big the film festival is. I know I'm bad-mouthing film festivals like crazy right now, but I submit to them like crazy. That is definitely the cultural gallery institution type experience for filmmakers. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm involved in film festivals. I, I promote them like crazy, the ones I think are, are really good. Um, but um, uh, so I just want to do that disclaimer. I don't want to make it seem like I think the whole thing's bad. But um, yeah, so typically, I mean, the end goal would be every filmmaker is different traditionally what happens you'd make the movie the main thing you would do is try to get into a film festival mm -hmm. or multiple film festivals um that would give you some kind of prominent exposure say you get into the film festivals or it gets accepted and you go um there would be critics there that would do write-ups on it distributors themselves would show up mm. to the film festivals you could you could get deals to get your movie picked up um by distributors or if that didn't happen at least there'd be some press and you could you know, say, hey, look, I was in this film festival and got written up and got a good review or, or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you could go to like a smaller distributor and be like, hey, you should pick up my film because it has some, some name stuff behind it. And that, that, that was the typical path. Now the path, it's completely different because now as an independent filmmaker, it's, you know, I think we all still do submit to film festivals um, for two reasons. One, it is that cultural institution, as you were mm -hmm. saying, of like a gallery that's like the best thing about film festivals now because mm -hmm. a lot of film festivals you're just not you're, you're probably not gonna get much press out of so um i think that's kind of why you do it it's more about meeting people uh, having that kind of gallery experience all that kind of stuff and then um from there it's it's deciding do you want to try to get a distributor to send it somewhere or do you want to try to do it yourself and then it's a conversation about how do you market it and and, and all that stuff what is um, a distributor's yep. role in a world where you can just upload your video to vimeo at any time yeah that's a good question well i mean the thing is is that uh like i said you can upload to vimeo but then just no one's gonna watch it no one's gonna watch it or even if you upload to amazon even if you upload to amazon prime video a mm -hmm. lot of the people who get their movies put up there don't get views either um uh, just because the way the algorithm works it's like if your movie's already getting if your movie gets lots of views it will get bumped up into their 
search right. results. So it's like people who are getting lots of views will get more views and people who yeah. don't get any views will kind of just dunk. Well, you know, and, basic, it's, and like, it's frustrating because I wish people would be in Vimeo more because Vimeo was fantastic. Like, it's really like, I'm, I'm upset more people don't engage with it because they have curated lists, they have critics, anyone can upload it. People will try to get unknown stuff seen by featuring them. They, they have an algorithm that's kind of really organic algorithm. They have a great hmm. system set up for people from makers. It's really fantastic. So talking about distributors, a lot of these um, places you do need a distributor to actually get into. So Vimeo, you, you don't need one. Mm -hmm. Amazon Prime, you don't need one, or at least you didn't until who knows what's happening now. But other places, if you want to use a distributor to get into, uh, to get into like a Netflix or Hulu or things like that, like that, you you're, you probably do need a distributor, an aggregator. Or something like that because you can't i mean particularly netflix you can't just like um you can't so is that like an, each of them so is that like an agent um so a distributor is basically uh so back in the classic days <laughs> back in the 90s when we back were in the in, 90s <laughs> back in the 90s when we were actually in a in a movie stores the distributor would be the one who would actually like package make the vhs package it and send it to the movie uh -huh. store or uh -huh. make that make the real send it to the movie theater like they're the ones who actually physically get your movie so to like the places a, like the label yeah if it were music exactly yeah that exactly uh mm -hmm. same same thing but it's like now they still do that so that's one reason to go with a distributor because if you ever want any kind of like if you want to do like dvds or, or blu-rays or things like that and walmart like that's what a distributor would do like a label like you said but mm -hmm. also like a label um for the digital stuff they would have relationships already with like netflix or whoever and say here's here's the movie so kind of an agent because they would kind of pitch it for you but mm -hmm. I mean, another thing distributors do, which is actually one thing to say, is that they'll also help market the movie often. So if they buy mm -hmm. a film, maybe use a filmmaker to have a budget, they might have a budget to help market your movie. So mm -hmm. um, that's one path. Um, you know, that's like the classic path to do. Trying to try to go into film festivals, me and bitter old me uh, still does as well. <laughs> you know, I still submit around all the time. I think when you first get started out, you go to film festivals and you're schmoozing with people because you have this belief that like, oh, I'm going to meet the big producer. I'm going to meet some big somebody who's going to, who is somebody who's going to be somebody and that's going to help me, right? Because they're going to, mm -hmm. I'll be their buddy and then they'll turn me into something someday. And then, you know, you, you quickly realize that's probably not the case. Mm -hmm. um, so it just comes more about, you know, finding other like-minded people that you want to be around. And that's sort of, um, that's, that's what I see a lot of is just people looking for other like-minded people, I'd say. The, the, Film festival experience is really less about getting a distributor, getting picked up. It's not even really that much about winning awards. It's about just like having that mm -hmm. in-person experience, that engagement. getting to meet other yeah. artists, that engagement. It's sort of like that gallery. You get people in a theater who just sit and watch a movie physically and you can be with them yeah. and uh, you can do a Q and A, you know, all, yeah. all that. And it's just a very nice thing. Um, so yeah, the, the way that I kind of frame it for myself in, in my mind is that, you know, people have different goals. Some people want to be rich. Some people want to be famous. Some people just want to support themselves. Many people like say that all they want is to support themselves with their art or whatever. Yeah. Um, like for, for me, I think like the goal, like, I don't know if it's a goal so much more like a driving or motivating factor is like, there's a conversation happening. Yeah. You know, in some, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it needs a major overhaul, but there is a conversation. And it used to be, I feel, well, I don't want to over-romanticize the past, but like, let me just say, it's it's really hard to be a part of that conversation. And I think like a lot of my so-called career decisions revolve around, I don't, I don't want to do this in a vacuum. And like the energy of a gallery opening, the yeah. 
having friends that do this also like yep. you know getting especially like god knows getting your work like written or talked about like yep. you know, or or writing or talking about and engaging with other people's work like that's all like that's that's like what's really exciting mm. to me and you know sometimes that still kind of shines through the cracks in the marketing and promo racket that we're all engaged yeah yeah but i think that's a good segue to the last question i wanted to ask you which is like would you say there's cool um like no everyone's a loser <laughs> nobody's cool <laughs> no, not the people charles the films <laughs> oh, oh sorry <laughs> um would you say that there's like like um are you excited about stuff that people are making in the independent movies oh i see what you're saying yeah so i absolutely am and that's kind of where my freshman in the film festivals go because you know i have friends who are i i think are like friggin' amazing filmmakers who make really crazy stuff and they're having all the same struggles I have, <laughs> you know, like you can't get anywhere. And then you see the films again, like the major film festivals or these mid-year film festivals. And it's crazy. Right. And then it's all zombie movies. Right, and it's right, like, right. why didn't you take, why, why are you rejecting my friends? Cause I do, I absolutely do. And I honestly, I, some of the best experiences I've had in the film festivals um, are these really small film festivals that are only in their first couple of years where they're not smart enough to know they shouldn't be taking Mm. weird movies mm, mm, <laughs> you know mm, mm. for their own good right <laughs> I'll, I'll say some good stuff about some film festivals there are certain film festivals which absolutely still have the mentality of let's find people mm. who are trying to do something interesting um and not just sort of jadedly trying to make the same you know right. story those are definitely worth going to and and you will see inspiring stuff there um i think the key is like how do you identify what those places are mm -hmm. uh, and what they look like and it's just there's so many niches there's so many different ways of going about it it's it's sort of finding that cool is there anything you want to give like a shout out to before we go here like um, oh, you, you already you already mentioned vimeo is a really good uh service that more people oh i see yeah yeah i would say you know anything go on vimeo and try to have a classic uh this isn't you know this no one's gonna do this but have a try to have a classic experience like we had back in the 90s where <laughs> we just, just grab click something. around yeah. Look around at the films and decide to rent a movie that you haven't seen and you know, you know nothing about solely based on the screenshot and the description and and see what happens to you. And if you don't want to do it on Vimeo, you can do an Amazon video too. Just I think you know. that's really good advice. Yeah. Um, are there some film festivals that you want to... Oh yeah, definitely. So Chain Film Festival, I've been involved with for years and they're a fantastic film festival um, that happens in August, I think is happening this year. The Newark Film Festival here in Newark is one I've been involved with for years. They have a really wide, interesting selection as well of unique films. Um, and uh, New Filmmakers, uh, New York, which they hold at uh, Anthology Film Archives. Uh, that's a great one too. I actually had a film this last summer that showed there that they had a really interesting selection of films there too cool. so um yeah i mean I guess those are probably the they're all around the new york city area if you're not in new york city obviously that's not gonna help you much but um those are the three that come to the top of my head at least cool and any filmmakers they're kind of i'm kind of asking you to uh promote your company oh yeah promote yeah a couple uh, filmmakers I would recommend that are other, you know, filmmakers in my weirdo horror movie genre thing that I do um, would be uh, Corey Nicholas. Uh, you can check out his film Fisheye on YouTube, um, which I, all these movies you can check on YouTube. Um, Corey Nicholas, Fisheye, Bob Rose, uh, Time Crow Wave, and Kate Lavin, The Eye and the Clock. Those are three filmmakers and some short films they've made that uh, you can go check out. Uh, they're all on YouTube for free. All right. Thank you so much for, for joining me. I, um, Absolutely. 
anything that humans do has a whole world that kind of accrues around it and you only get to know a few of them i feel like yeah. in a lifetime so it's always interesting to find out how yeah. like the inner machinations work in like the next universe over yeah absolutely yeah it's an interesting conversation to have i, I just see so many parallels uh, as well when you're talking about um the independent film scene to the stuff you also talk yeah. about about yeah, just like too, the, yeah. econ the economics for like the painting the high art stuff i really think a lot of it's very analogous mm -hmm. you know yeah. yeah a lot of the same dynamics apply across yeah. not just these two fields of yep. cultural production but many 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 yeah cool all right um cool. go out this weekend or don't go out this weekend because we're still in covid but yeah, exactly. <laughs> stay in this weekend and stay watch something video. that's not a zombie movie that's yeah. the message <laughs> of yeah by the way i love zombie movies i mean yeah, i made too. zombie I movies. my film my film eddie glum is basically a zombie movie so i i'm like right. i'm i'm just using it there you go you, you see, yeah. all right. uh, watch eddie glum if you're looking for something yeah it's on vimeo i'm just taking off on my vimeo. amazon but you can watch it on vimeo <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks a lot right. charles yep thank you bye bye